Hello and welcome to our new episode of Risk and Regulation Unraveled, our Grant Thornton's financial services podcast that brings you conversations about the dynamic world of risk and regulation. We help our financial services clients understand new developments, upcoming changes, and how to stay ahead of the curve by inviting experts to share their insights and views. I'm Rob Benson, partner lead of our financial services business risk services team at Grant Thornton. In today's episode, we'll look at the themes and topics coming out of our recent financial services internal audit survey. And the survey was broad in coverage and considered aspects of internal audit practices ranging from strategy and the value internal audit provides to how internal audit functions measure their own performance and also how they're preparing for the many challenges ahead as business stakeholders and regulatory demands and operating models evolve. Our survey covered seven key areas, strategy, value proposition, measuring success, fit for the future, skills gaps, a focus on data analytics, and diversity and inclusion. The full version of our survey is available to download from our website. So joining me today, please can I welcome to the podcast my co-host Vivian Lagan, who's the Managing Director in our team and the real driving force behind our internal audit survey. Welcome Vivian. Hi Rob. Also welcome Nick Curl, Chief Auditor of NatWest Group, who brings with him a wealth of experience, having also previously been a Head of Strategy and Change at Barclays and Lloyds Banking Group. Hi Rob, hi Vivian, hi Rob. Welcome to Fatula Sherrill-Ambus, Chief Internal Auditor, EBRD, who's also held previous roles at RBS and Citigroup. Hi there, Rob and Vivian. And finally, to Carly Eaton, Chief Internal Auditor, Provident Financial Group, and previous experience as Chief Internal Auditor at Monzo. So let's start by looking at the future of internal audit. From our survey, we asked whether the internal audit functions out there were future fit, and 60% of those who responded believed that they were not. The survey results did highlight positives around a culture of continuous improvement existing, there being a strong focus on quality and developing specialist skills in teams, and with innovation and automation as key areas that will help functions to be future fit. But Carly and Nick, if I can pose this to you, there's always Of course, the view that functions may never be future fit. Teams can plan, improve responsiveness and agility, set the function up for more immediate success and be prepared for different eventualities. But with market and regulatory changes that need to be responded to, in reality, how can functions be best prepared for the future? I think um, that that functions need to be using data far better than we are. I, I think that we have implemented data into our existing processes as opposed to really using it to um, to, to, to become future fits. Um, but partly this is because we're constrained by our own risk averseness, but also by the organisations in which we operate. And our organisations are often struggling with their own data strategies and, and we need to be able to, to fit in with those. But, but I think on, on another level, um, we're often keen to chase the, the newest, most relevant skill in the market. And as, instead of focusing on the specific skill, we need to be really equipping our people to be resourceful and also adaptable in terms of the areas that, that they focus on. So certainly for somebody like me who, who works in a very small function, we can't possibly have every skill set within the function that, that we may need to audit in the future. But we have to be building the, the risk and control expertise, because that is our bread and butter, and then be able to use that to point those expertise in, in wherever areas the, the future takes us. So I think sometimes we focus too much on the specific skill, the, the SME skill set, as opposed to the, the auditor skill set that, that will keep us relevant into the future. 
Um, and then, of course, we can always tap into our co-source partners when we do need this specific SME skill set. But I, I think sometimes in trying to be future ready, we're trying to predict the future. And as we've seen over the last few years, that that's impossible for us to do. But we can really put the building blocks in place that, that then make us um, you know, able to respond to, to anything that, that happens in the future. That's great. Thanks. And Nick, we're going to talk a little bit about analytics and, and data a little later. Any other core components that you think functions should be focused on in order to be future fit? Thanks, Rob. Yeah, I think I think there are. And I and I kind of agree with the proposition that was put by the majority responding to the survey. I think it's it is very difficult at any point to say you are fit for the future. It's a lot more straightforward to know that you're not fit for the future to start to ask some questions about how to get like, like, like most of us in our daily lives, how we might get a little bit fitter so that we are have a better chance of being fit for the future. And for me, I think it it starts with a stand back question is to say, well, actually, what is our role in the future? So that the question that, that we've been looking at here is, well, what do we think the purpose and the, the role of an audit function is likely to be in three to five years time? Is it the same as it is now? And is that the same as it has been in the last five to 10 years? And our take on that question is that actually our role in the future will need to be quite a bit broader than our role has been up until now. Our, our industry has been going through a real sort of fix and repair phase following the events of 10, 15 years ago. And we've been pretty successful as audit functions, in my view, in responding to those challenges. And we have, we've had real big focuses on safety and soundness about regulatory compliance and not, not delivering bad outcomes to customers. But I think as we think about where we are now in terms of a positive interest rate environment, a cost of living crisis, inflation running ahead, that's not going to be enough. Our, our industries need to be in a place where we are supporting people more and better earlier regularly. And so that means our firms are going to have to grow and grow in that purposeful way that helps people. And so I think we're going to have to grow with that and start to offer broader ranges of opinions on broader ranges of topics that start to look a bit more forward as well as a bit more sideways and backwards. And so I think part of part of being fit for the future is going to be about defining the questions that we think we really need to answer. And I think that and I don't think any of us knows what that is. So we have to start to to think about what that might be and shape it. Um, the second part, you, you talked about skills and absolutely data and analytics will be at the heart of it. Another one that I would put there, which I think is going to be incredibly important, and we already see it's emerging, is the whole area of behavioural science. It is a big part of consumer regulation already with the consumer duty and is just coming everywhere. And so I think understanding and being able to audit with and in the environment of behavioural risk and behavioural science is going to be really important for us all. And then the final part that sort of complements the sort of view of the destination and some of the core skills is what's going to go along and so, uh, beside and around it is a mindset. So we're, we're going to have to be brave, we're going to have to experiment and we're going to have to accept that we don't know all the answers and so create that environment for experimentation where it's safe to learn and so we learn, we reinvest, we reset, we go again, we experiment, we learn, we reset, we go again and to my mind that's the 
those those combinations are going to be what's key to getting us fitter for the future that's ahead of us. No, that's brilliant. Thank you, Nick, and thank you, Carly. So moving on to strategy and value propositions. Vivian, pass over to you, please. Super, thank you. Thank you, Rob. So alongside preparing the internal audit function for the future, internal audit functions need to be positioned appropriately so that they can help drive and support corporate strategy. In our survey, 58% of respondents stated that internal audit is a member of the executive committee and relevant governance bodies and reports on the effectiveness of the firm's control environment. So now that internal audit has its seat at the table, there is an opportunity to challenge and create value-add insight to support taking the business forward. While this is great, 20% of our respondents did feel that risk and control culture was a barrier to meeting all of internal audit's objectives. In addition to that, we asked our internal audit leaders to rank five issues for setting their strategy for 2022 and beyond. Interestingly, the value of internal audit that internal audit provides to the organization ranked top. However, what we did find and was highlighted is that 33% believed they did not have adequate resources to deliver the audit plan and achieve their value proposition. In addition to that, nearly half noted they did not have measures in place to monitor attrition levels. Fatula, can I get your thoughts on, on that? Uh, yes, of course, Vivian. Um, first of all, I was quite surprised to see that only 33% thought that they had insufficient resources, because in my experience, internal orders never think they have enough uh, resources. So <laughs> I, th I found that quite low. Um, so is it much of an issue? It will, for me, it's always it's always going to be an issue, but we have to remember that we don't operate in a bubble. What is imperative for internal audit, for me anyway, is that we're transparent. What exactly is our coverage model? Uh, when we go to the board and senior management, I call it, you know, the demand-led pool. What should I be doing? Given all, all the risks of the organization, what's evolving, what's emerging? And then we also, so we show the demand-led plan and then we say, well, if, if I get these resources, I'll be able to achieve all this other stuff too. So that's my supply plan. So that's how I operate here at the ABD, full transparency, because I am a small team. I'm never going to have it, the resources I actually need. So we use co-source, we use guest reviewers, but in terms of my core course team, I would say it's hugely on the lean side, and I'm sure many of you will feel the same way. Uh, the bigger organizations, are, you know, I think uh, you said it, Nick, over the last decade have suffered with, with fines, regulatory penalties, et cetera. So what I've seen in the market is skill sets go up, you know, we high, 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 and then a few years later, we have to get rid of them because, of course, it depends on the financial um, standing of your organization, what the economic pressures are at the time you're asking for resources. So, yeah. And then the other question you had around surprising that people don't have a ways of measuring attrition. I, I, yeah, I find that difficult also to understand. If you mean by internal audit, then I'm sure us heads of audit know what our risk appetite is for attrition. What are we comfortable at and measure it? So it's 
pretty easy to measure unless you have hundreds of thousands of auditors and why would you be struggling? Uh, so I, I found that surprising, to be honest, if you're talking about audit attrition rates. Super, thank you for that. And just picking up, I just wanted to pick up with you on strategy. Um, and, and I just wanted to, to, to get your thoughts around, do you think there is a need to audit the effective delivery of audit strategy? Because we have, we have, we deliver, we, we deliver a strategy and we review the organization's delivery of their strategy. Do you think there is a need for audit to also perform an effective review of system strategy? Absolutely. I absolutely think there's a need, Vivian, because the question is whether management themselves feel that they want an audit of the delivery of their strategies. So if we talk to the boards, they absolutely want an opinion on them. So where are we? Have you know, we we go out with these huge ambitions every year. Uh, sometimes it's just business as usual, but a lot of the times it's new strategies. So that's where I think it's really really important that auditors get involved, and we have successfully done it in parts. So when, when we're thinking about our plans, uh, that's the first thing I look at. What is the Delta? What's the new strategy for next year? You know, the top down uh, drivers for the organization. And then we will put down bits of strategy that we want to cover. And then we have the interesting discussions. Yeah, but why do you want to look at my digital strategy? What do you know about digital? And my point is, well, I don't really know about digital. I want to know how you you know, how are you implementing that? What resources have you got? Where's your plan? How are you, you know, what is it you're telling the board you're delivering? So those, I would say, the most challenging audits we do, but we do do them. And I personally think it's really important because that's when you really add value at the right time. It, it's painful when you're going through it because, well, it's strategy, you know, it's, it's not your typical assurance. Um, but certainly we've had very positive feedback from the board and actually senior management at the end that, yeah, it's, it's a good time to do it um, and, and keeps them honest. So I absolutely do think we should and we don't do enough of it. That's great. And then looking forward, I know we've mentioned obviously the current economic headwinds. How is your internal audit function adapting to its strategy to support your organisation? Well, as I said, you know, just keeping keeping in with the flow of information. If we have seats at the table, whether it's literally or otherwise, um, you need to keep on top of it. For us, the biggest change, as it were, was the war in the Ukraine. The bank has a huge had a huge presence there, huge exposures, people on the ground. So we immediately changed our plan to say, well, what what assurance can we bring to that? Um, the, and as I said earlier, whether we have sufficient resources or not, I I do what I need to do and repri keep reprioritizing. Uh, we're never going to have enough resources to do everything we want as auditors, right? You want your basic assurance, you want your change, you want your strategy stuff. Um, so it's just a constant dynamic update. Um, and, it, you know, it's our experience in conjunction with, the, with management and the board about what's more important and pressing now. Uh, that's how I deal with it. I'm sure colleagues would say the same. We'd certainly see the same with our clients with regards to uh, the internal audit functions working 
much more closely with the second line colleagues in, in risk and compliance to understand mm. the changing horizons and yeah, exactly. what's that response needed in, in order to support the business in the right way. And I think, yeah, unfortunately, it does take a pandemic or it takes a war in order for that mm. to happen. One would like yeah. to think that we can do it a little better and yeah. a little more fluidly. And I'm sure some organisations do exactly that. But um, obviously, it's priorities, isn't it? It's priorities and it's also maturity of your organization in terms of the risk and control culture, whether they want auditors to be doing all this extra audit work. And occasionally you hear the you hear them say, oh, why would I give you more resources? You then do more audits and then I have to fix the problems you raise, <laughs> <laughs> which is, you know, it, it shows you the, the, the risk maturity of of some of our leaders. I understand. That's brilliant. Fatula, thank you for that. Um, Nick, Carly, any particular comments that you'd like to add to that? I'd just add that, you know, I couldn't endorse more, I don't think, importance of considering the firm strategy in its in its entirety when figuring out a strategy as well as a plan for the audit function, because if we don't cover off the risk to the delivery across the broader strategy, it, it seems to me we're not adding the value to the board across the piece that we ought to be because it ends up back to really my previous answer how dangerous we focus on one one important foundation stone which is safety soundness and the not doing of harm but all of our organizations have strategic objectives that go well beyond that and that's the bare minimum for all of us we all have objectives to be um, far more central to far far more people than that and so we ought to be providing valuable insight to my mind across that broader that broader spectrum so i think it's absolutely at the heart of what we do and we should also as i, I was hearing vivian's earlier question as well we should challenge ourselves on how well we deliver against our own strategies when we're when we're assessing what we ought to um, emphasize more or less as we go forward so you know a, a resounding 100 percent yes to me is the answer to vivian's question of a couple of minutes ago. And I, I would echo that as well. I think we have to be able to explain how each of the audits on our plan links back to our, our group strategies. And um, we, we need to be mindful of not falling into the trap of focusing so much on the operational controls and the improvements we can make here and there and miss that big strategic risk that's going to come and really impact our organisations. And I, I think Sometimes as, as auditors, our sweet spot is in that more operational space and we have to continually encourage and, and lift our teams up to, to have the strategic conversations, even when they may not have all the information um, and there's, there's other experts around the table, but they, they can join the dots together in a way that other functions and other people in the organisations can't. And certainly maybe an area that the the draft new standards that are, are being consulted upon could focus more on the future so we'll watch with interest there that's great thank you much appreciated if we move on to data um we can see that the skills gaps are, are there across esg cyber security data analytics financial crime and credit risk all of those were very much a concern for the internal audit leaders that participated in our survey now, of course, there's no fast track to closing these gaps and quite often significant investment is needed to retrain, upskill or recruit. And you've touched on some of these already, but there is that constant need to provide that independent assurance and challenge, of course. 
But if we were to focus on data analytics, um, over 60% of respondents use data analytics in less than 25% of audit engagements, which I think we all found um, a little surprising. I and mean, then more so that around 40% of respondents don't have the measures in place for data analytics, even though it's well known that the effective use of, of analytics does elevate performance, it provides that greater value, and of course increases the credibility of an internal audit with its key stakeholders. Now, notwithstanding that some of the challenges around data analytics is the data itself and the availability of that data. I just would like to ask you all around your views in terms of your own experiences on, on your analytics journeys. Where are you at? What are you currently doing? But Nick, maybe if I can just start with you around the benefits and challenges that you've seen in, in your organisation. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Rob. I think that you've really set it out. And I think probably there are a few don't believe in the benefits case for doing data analytics and putting data more at the heart of things. My my own view, having understood the theory and then tried to live the practice in a couple of organisations over the last few years, is that the hypothesis is absolutely true. You know, the more we use data analytics in our audit execution, the better breadth, depth, speed, efficiency of work we get and the better insights we can draw. And I, I often summarise it as is, you know, if, if you audit without the benefit of data analytics, you can give an educated guess. Um, with the use of analytics, you can give an insightful, proven answer. And the, the, there's, a, there's just immeasurably more value to the knowing rather than the having to guess and, and having the estimation error. Um, so I think the benefits case is, is extremely strong. Um, in terms of that execution already, but I think where we've all made less progress probably um, is driving out some of the benefits case in terms of when we look at our own processes, whether, and whether that whether that be through analytics on things that we've got, starting to automate some of our repeat processes, or starting as most people are with with, with larger analytics team dip dip their toe in to use some more of the sort of artificial intelligence or machine learning to get slightly more predictive in how we piece our own data together. There are a number of things that, that most standard order methodologies involve around constructing universes, doing risk assessments, performing ongoing monitoring that take pieces of data and do things to them in a repeated relatively uniform way they lend themselves hugely to being automated and to having analytics run across them and i i think we we've only really scratched the surface on those i, I think there are huge benefits in terms of quality efficiency and turning us much more forward-looking and predictive to be captured there before we then unleash the power of using the analytics tools in the testing so i think that the benefits where we've done all these things I haven't seen a benefits case not play out when we've started to do work and to press harder in. Now, obviously, hands up, we've, we've got a mixture of sizes of, of groups concerned. I've been working into very large audit functions with some, some deep skills, and some of the deeply skilled people are also on this call that I've worked with doing this previously, and so we've lived the journey together. But there are things, I think, that we can all do, because when I when we come on to the challenges, I think really sort of there are I, I put the traditional challenges in three or four in three or four categories. I think one is around sort of the skills slash the tools. So is this a really, really hard thing that only really, really, really smart people with 
degrees in data science or data architecture can do? And the answer to that, I think, is no. Um, these skills are absolutely accessible and can be taught. And there are available courses and materials that don't cost very much that we can all get on and start lifting the level. The, the technologies themselves are much more accessible to use and so the skills can be applied. So I think that barrier is much lower, that challenge is much less than it was even two, three, five years ago. And we can, we can certainly get on there. And then the, the second and third parts I'd put together around sort of data quality and data accessibility, those have been big impediments to doing things in any significant way. I think they are lessening as people start to um, rely on the gathering and data and the use of data much more in terms of business operation and business management. Data is naturally getting better because the business use case for cleaning data and storing data sensibly has proven itself and so things have tended to run. That means it's available in better quality more regularly for us to access. That's not universally true and it's not uniformly true in any one organisation. But the trend, I think, is certainly there. And I would also say don't don't let some concerns about the absolute quality of the data be an impediment because we can still add greater insight and benefit, even if the data is imperfect and incomplete. Um, the more perfect and the more complete it is, the further you can go. But we can certainly go a long way down the road anyway. And I think the accessibility point has also eased a lot with the advent of much greater use of sort of API technologies to move and grant access to data, greater moves to store things in cloud and so on, which most places are going down the journey of. And so I, I just think all the challenges and the impediments are still there. I just think each of them is, is less than it was. And I also think we're seeing larger generations of people come through who have been more familiar with working with data in larger ways. And so it's becoming a more established core capability for colleagues we're bringing through and training and so i think there are challenges there um, but with the genuine desire to get in there it's possible now and i think there's so much low-hanging fruit when you get in that you prove the use cases to yourself and your colleagues and your teams and your business stakeholders and and we go from there certainly the feedback we get on each time we launch something new or different and try to modify our product, our mechanisms for delivery of assurance, the types of opinions we give, all are received positively by our business stakeholders. And so because they're simply more useful to them in determining what they need to do to meet their strategic objectives. And so benefits are huge. And I think that the, the challenges are there, but very much now surmountable. And so the, the use case for DA, I think, is absolutely 100% proven. Thanks for that, Nick. And, and to follow on from that, are you starting to see requests for greater use of, of data analytics from audit stakeholders now they've see, seen that benefit and they want to see that on a more routine basis? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think if you, if you, those who don't know what it is don't know to ask for it. I mean, there's a, tru there's a truism in there, there somewhere, but, but those who receive the traditional audit product and those who've received an audit product that's given them insight to analytics or even simply use some of the available technologies to visualize some of the business's own data back to it and made some observations off the back of that, all we all always want more. They say, this is useful, we like this. I mean, not obviously all of my stakeholders love all of the audit reports we deliver. Clearly that goes, that goes absolutely. <laughs> naturally, naturally. 
But that's a different organization you're working at, Nick. Yeah. This is a fantasy organization. <laughs> fantasy bank. But, is that your fantasy organization? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. But, but, <laughs> but the delta, I mean, in, you know, sort of frivolity aside, the, the delta between yeah. the business stakeholder value from one product versus another is huge. So the demand is. is there. So active requests, maybe not, but desire and demand when they see it, absolutely yes. Yeah. yeah. And even as you say, Nick, the, the one thing that we have. Uh, is the connecting all the dots. So we did a simple thing, taking data using Tableau to use the business's own data, but picking up from operations and compliance, et cetera, on a dashboard. They were like, oh, can we have that? So, and it's a, it's a simple thing to have done. Uh, and we use it for our business monitoring, but because they work in their operational silos, they're not really looking at the data across the end-to-end -end piece. So yeah, no, I agree with Nick. It, there is a huge benefit. Uh, proposition. The challenge for our smaller organizations is having sufficient skills to be able to have the time to play about with the data and develop the skills. So the ambition is there. We have, you know, in and out successes, but I wouldn't say we're on the mature side yet. And, and that talks to Nick's point, I believe, isn't yeah. it? And certainly what we're seeing with regards to, to talent in the market, and I know we'll talk about talent in a moment, we're certainly seeing the availability of that data interest there within new entrants into the market and even the more mature existing personnel in the market wanting to to do something around data data science data strategy data architecture you know the, the cdo office is as important as ever and it's, it's no surprise that the, the quants that are out there are starting to see audit as an avenue for them to go down as well yes i've worked in a global bank in a fintech and in a small UK bank and in each of those organisations data analytics is really difficult and I think we, we often think the grass is always greener whether it's the more resources that you might have in, in a global bank whether it's the up-to-date tech in, in a fintech but fundamentally these things are hard and they are worth pursuing um, and, and I think one of the things that I've seen over over the years is that we we often go straight to focus on the technical data analytics skill set we, we need a data analyst we need a data scientist we need someone who can who can run python and what we've neglected in a lot of organizations is the the upskilling of the the general auditor the the, the business auditor who then becomes really fearful of having data-driven conversations with our stakeholders and the quicker you can unlock that data-driven conversation the analytics themselves become much easier. You only need to ask for the data once or you can set up that direct link to get access to it. And the time it takes to do the analytics is a small factor of, of the overall um, engagement and really helping our business auditors and technology auditors to, to have those conversations and be confident to have them, I, I think is, is where we'll really see the, sh the shift. And, and then we won't have these separate data teams working in a silo, but it will become a, a, a fundamental part of, of the audit process. I wholeheartedly agree. And, and again, we're, we've seen organisations that, that won't look at talent unless there is that level of, of, of data capability to start with, or at least the willingness to, to go down the, the learning and development route of understanding more, because that's where many of the audits need to start from. You know, what is the data telling us in order for us to, to direct our scope work, to have those meaningful conversations with stakeholders? Absolutely right. No, thank you, Carly. And, uh, and we shouldn't forget the infrastructure piece as well, because understanding how our systems are, are, 
are built and being able to to have conversations with the, the architects and, and so on is, is also a, a significant component in that. Yeah, great, thank you. Vivian, do you want to pick up on DE&I, please? Yeah, of course. If we can focus just a little on diversity, equity and inclusion, um, thankfully, we're seeing a lot of firms increasingly realize that DE&I is not a tick box exercise, but rather a way to build a more resilient and better performing culture. In the survey, 67% of internal audit function felt they were in line with achieving their organization's target, and positively only 12% felt they were behind DE&I targets. And for us, this is excellent. It's excellent to see audit functions achieving in this space. And you would have seen in the report some of the key initiatives from those that felt they were ahead in developing best practice across the sector. And also a fantastic example, you would have also hopefully seen the support from the IAA, who recently launched the IAA Race and Ethnicity Group to support the community and share best practice. So if I can put to Carly uh, to start with, um, three questions around how can we improve DNI in internal audit? How is DNI strategy managed at board level within your organization? And how does that impact you as an employer and as a provider of services and as part of a wider social community? Thanks, Vivian. So I think as a profession, we have come a long way and we should celebrate the successes that, that we've had over, over the, you know, the last few years. Um, I, I think as a, as a profession at entry level, we are pretty much 50-50 in terms, certainly in terms of, of gender. If, if not, we have more females entering the profession at those uh, the, those junior levels. And, and obviously gender is the metric where we have more data. So I, I'm just zoning on that for a moment. We do see across a lot of our functions that there is a tipping point at that middle management level. And I think that's where we need to focus our, our time and attention. And I don't think that's specific to, to audit functions. I think that's, that's a, a more general problem. And we've talked a lot about things like sponsorship programmes and mentoring programmes for, for women and for other underrepresented groups. And there's a place for them and it's extremely important. But at the same time, I also think we, we need to be cautious of not trying to to fix the women or fix the underrepresented groups and really look at the structures that, that are in place and, and, and trying to address some of that from a from a structure and process perspective. So some of it may be around unconscious bias or even unchecked bias when we, we know we're making some of those decisions. So there's definitely still work to be done. I, th I think it's helpful for, for those of us in financial services to, to have targets like the Women in Finance Charter, as well as um, the Ethnicity Charter that's coming in, and, and the IIA um, ethnicity groups and things like that. that they, having those types of targets helps us move in the right direction, but the target itself isn't, isn't the goal. They just help us measure the progress that, that we're making within our organisations. So I, I think there's, there's, there's a lot for us to do, um, but, but we need to recognise the progress that we've made to date already. And in terms of my organisation, there, there is a heavy focus on DEI at the at the board level. There's a committee that that focuses on customer conduct and culture, and and that committee really has a good oversight on where we're heading as an organisation. They get regular MI in terms of the the improvements that we're making. 
in, in, in the DEI space and, and are really engaged with our affinity groups, which are awareness groups, as well as overseeing a lot of those management actions that are being taken. So I, I think that really helps employees on, on the ground to see how important this is to the overall group strategy. And it also helps with our, our recruitment as well. Um, I, I think there's still work for us to do there, particularly in making sure that our, our policies are truly um, family friendly and truly cover the whole DEI agenda. So we're always looking to, to raise the bar. But I think the, the, the important thing is we are having the conversation at both an extra level and, and at a board level, and there is real accountability to, to demonstrate that progress. Thank you for that. that that's really helpful. For two learning thoughts on that. Yeah, look, I agree with Carly. I think all organisations now, I'd be very surprised if we don't all have scorecards and metrics all the way from the board, XCOM, certainly here at the EBRD we do. We have uh, a, a very balanced executive committee, almost 50-50. And I don't know, that's an interesting one. I don't know whether it's because our president is female. So then you see a lot more senior managers, uh, female senior managers. And, our, and one level below, we're about 60, 40. So yes, we have all the agenda, we have uh, you know, priorities around uh, the gender, ethnicity, nationality, disability, and uh, LGBTQ. So it's great. So I think all of that is there. Everybody's got accountability, we'll have measures, we all have objectives. I think for me, what I just wanted to add to what uh, Carly has said is more the inclusivity once you get them here. So we are, because of the nature of our international organisation, we hire from all around the world. So we are very diverse like that. But once you bring them here, who's who Who do you listen to? Are you really inclusive, including the voices of this community or that community? And this is what I, I'm really pushing here in in uh, at the EBRD because um, you you know you go into meetings you go you, you see fora where you know women for example will not speak up or we have if you look at employee survey results they'll say well we don't get the opportunities to be promoted and all and you and you look at the gender splits so I think diversity scorecards and all of that we've got it up the wazoo and everybody looks at it but actually do people feel included is is i think the only other thing i wanted to uh to add to the conversation that we need to be careful of you know absolutely i agree with you and i just wanted to pick up on your point on retention because clearly inclusivity facilitates yeah. retention um, and we are seeing the data at the very top is still even within this group and and you know when I had a conversation with Carly and yourself to 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 bring mm. in uh, the chief auditors female chief auditors in, in, in yeah. within the financial services sector there wasn't many the group wasn't big as an example if you focus on yeah. gender for a minute what are your thoughts around that retention of middle management to be able to provide that pipeline for senior management roles when they do arise? Well, I think we have to be aware of it and make sure that we provide the coaching and then support network. You can't, because, you know, women, I, if we're just talking about gender, they get to a certain stage and usually it's around the, at, at the you know, you're having children and you're making decisions and am I getting the support? So is, is, having that support network, mentoring somebody, keeping keeping up with 
you know, understanding what their challenges are helping them. So we, we do have all sorts of programs in the bank to try and do that. Um, not as many as we should, but yeah, you've got to keep close to your talent and mentor them and coach them because, you know, otherwise they'll move to somewhere else where they will get that support. Um, and, and recognizing when is that tipping point, as you said, Curly, when we should we worry about. So it's not at the senior level women, but it's that middle ground where they're making decisions. Do I stay here with my career? Do I change track or go somewhere else? Um, so, yeah, it's always a challenge for us. Thank you for that. Nick, can I bring you in? I don't know if you've got any thoughts on, on, on the questions. Is it better? Um, diversity of representation and diversity of thought is right morally and it's right pragmatically and from a business perspective. So it's just right. It's right, right, right. So the opposite is wrong. So with with um, I, I believe I think Patula just said it, the, the ultimate um, unlock for sustainable diversity is proper inclusivity. And proper inclusivity means understanding and getting past as many as possible of those unconscious biases and habits and um, inadvertent cliques that get get created by people with two two similar backgrounds and so on, as well as all the overt measures. You then have to make efforts to change some of the um, core dynamics, so recruitment models, promotion models work-life work balance contents, propositions and offerings to create a different playing field. Otherwise, I don't believe you change the answer. But I think you have to start with saying, am I doing everything I can to make this place inclusive? Because if you don't, then I think everything, anything you do to try and improve immediately um, imbalances in diversity will ultimately fail because they won't be sustainable. And I think that the the, the, the you know my colleagues have really covered lots more of more fund, fundamental points that go behind that. But so I'll just sort of leave my my comments. That it's critically important. We're all trying hard. None of us has yet done enough. So we need to do more. We need to do differently. That's great. Thank you. And the final subject is on automation. Rob. Thanks, Vivian. So one I I know already based on the conversation on data and analytics is is close to. Uh, all, all of your hearts, really, but, um, yeah, but we're starting to see the emerging technologies, and I guess they're not so much emerging now. But when you talk about large language models and chat GPT, AI, and automation technologies, that they're all there at a, a, a ridiculously fast pace. Um, so I'd be very interested to understand how your firms are considering using some of these technologies, from AI to to automate and accelerate and enhance business processes. And, and Nick, you touched on some of those already. But obviously, the business is starting to use some of these tools and technologies. So I'd be really interested for the group to share their views in terms of how AI and these technologies, particularly ChatGPT, if we use that as an example, how they can support internal audit functions, how they'll change the way in which auditors work, but also what are those risks around using AI at the moment? So perhaps, Nick, would you kick us off on that one, please? Yeah, sure, Rob. Happy to. So look, I won't. I won't. Um go on for too long. So there, there's quite a well argued answer to this question quite easily available if you go into chat GPT and ask it the question. So um, 
we did that when you sent these questions through very kindly. And so the good news is the headline is that I shall read it out from ChatGPT. Overall, AI can assist IA functions by automating repetitive tasks, providing data-driven insights, improving search and discovery experiences, optimizing user experiences, and enhancing information organization and presentation. I mean, pretty, so pretty universal. And if ChatGPT says it's true, it's true, it must be. Um, yeah. <laughs> it then goes to give you seven sub bullets. Um, and we did ask it the follow-up question and it says it did then admit, um, I won't go through all of those, put the search term in and you can get the same answer we got. But um, then it does, yes, there are potential risks associated with using AI in internal audits some of which include lack of transparency, data quality and bias, an over-reliance on the machine versus thinking, um, security and privacy, lack of oversight. So the, the, key, the, key, um, the key point is, I, I think, sorry, stepping, stepping back from that, I was on a, a course recently and there was a business school professor who said, look, AI can only do one thing. I mean, it does it fantastically well but it, it only really does one thing, which is to recognize patterns in, in sets of information and data. And then from that, you can make a sort of prediction or a recommendation for a next step. And so whether or not you buy the simplicity of that argument that this professor was putting forward, um, all of our jobs involve looking at lots of structured, unstructured data in different forms so written spoken um, typed handwritten so on with the various bits of technology and the ability of the large language model ai generative ai stuff in particular to observe patterns there are enormous numbers of ways that different bits of data can be stitched together on a large scale patterns generated and then that be used to um I would say at this stage, the best use case is for then the human beings to apply some oversight and judgment to that and say, and what do I want to use that to tell me either to do some audit work or to draw some conclusions about some audit work. So I think for us as audit functions, the opportunities are immense within our own audit function. So we don't have like any other organization like we do not allow chat GPT access to the organization's data. Um, however, we do have ways of using uh, decent AI modeling and we're starting to see cases with these types of technology and a little bit of AI and machine learning, um, looking at sort of looking for anomalies in data sets, doing some of the character and file conversions and comparisons and you know, getting pretty good early results. But we're, we're, we're scratching the surface as an organization, I think, you know, I, AI will be increasingly used within the organization. If you have people who come and present to your organization about possibilities, the, the, the possibilities it brings for generation of, generation of code for tech developers, for every large organization, and probably most organizations rely on chatbots. Almost any chatbot can be made better by use of AI on looking at even at your own data set. Uh, the, the use cases for operational processes are immense in every organization, large or small. So it's coming. So we need to learn to adapt to audit it and to apply it. And I think it is incredibly interesting and exciting. But, you know, let's 
let's be real. Let's do, we can all do the reading. I won't try and attempt to, be, to do AI 101 here because I don't think I've passed that course yet. So, um, but there are pitfalls, there are dangers. We have to understand it. We have to audit it. We have to see what the checks are on it. But it is coming and it, its power is great and we can use it within our functions. We can use it to augment what our functions do and the quality of work we provide. Um, and we can see, we, we can all, we, we can add value by auditing how well our organisations apply it. So the opportunities and impacts on us are are huge and it's coming. And so like we, we better get hold of this tiger's tail because, you know, it's, it's, it's going places. Yeah. Uh, that's great. Thanks, Nick. I'm just very glad that ChatGPT is telling us that it's not here to take our jobs and it has weaknesses. So <laughs> I that's... didn't read that bit out. Uh, <laughs> it, 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 it didn't say anything about the role of consulting firms. I didn't ask it that question. I, 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 maybe that is a question that needs to be asked, but we'll do that in uh, another show. So, Patula <laughs> uh, and Carly, if we could pose, uh, again, similar questions to you. What, what are you seeing in terms of your organisations using it and, and how are you looking to embrace it? Not necessarily ChatGPT for the reasons that Nick and, and our own organisations uh, are not allowing it, but it'd be really interesting to hear from you. I'm not sure I can add any more to what uh, Nick very coherently expressed. I totally agree with with uh, his views. We, I've played about. We've played about with with it personally. Uh, we're not allowed to use it in the organisation. Risk management have gone out with some, uh, you know, watch it. We're not allowing it yet, but we're still coming up with our approach. Uh, but yeah, I mean, as Nick says, it, it's it's phenomenal. It's here to stay, and we better get. So we, we've all been through training. We've had. Um, you know, various consultants. We've been to the uh, Department of, uh, and what's it called? The Criminal NCA. Who does the AML checks in the bank? Invited a load of us to go and, and they gave us, they scared the hell out of us about the risks of using it and how you can, um, they actually even use quotes and you think that that's a real, um, because apparently if he doesn't, it makes it up. This is, uh, yeah, so... Watch this space. I mean, we're no, we're nowhere near. We're just, we're just watching and reading, really. I'd say yeah. here. I understand. And Carly. Yeah, not not a huge amount to add, really. I think, um, I think we are really excited as an organisation about what those opportunities might be. Uh, like everybody else, we're taking it slowly, make sure that we 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 embrace it in, in the right way. So starting more with policies and procedures around around the, the, the use of AI. But I, I think particularly, as, as Nick said, in the ops space, that the, the potential is absolutely huge. For, uh, for us as auditors, yeah, it's, it's definitely not going to take our jobs, but it will change the way that we audit. And, and again, it comes back to those skills for the future. The, the auditors of the future will know how to get the most out of tools like ChatGPT and, and AI tools far better and we'll just be much more efficient at what we do. But mm. it's always balancing the um, what, what we get from the tool with our own professional judgment. But I think it's very exciting and be interesting to see in 10 years time when we're having one of these conversations exactly how it's shifted the industry. Absolutely. I, I'm going to be very interested in 10 years time when my currently 11 year old son, who's already told me he wants to be a ChatGPT engineer, see, <laughs> see how that goes. So. Yeah. Could be quite entertaining that's great well thank you all for your comments on that um just to close then so 
thank you to, to all of our guests for their fantastic input and, and willingness to share their own insights. I'm sure our listeners will agree. It's great to hear how others are dealing with some of the challenges that our survey identified and particularly those chosen experiences that you've been able to share. So really appreciate it. Fatula, Carly, Nick, for your time. Absolutely fantastic. And Vivian, also, thank you to you and your team for being that driving force behind the survey, which has obviously identified some really interesting items that we've been able to share on this podcast and that has had a, a fantastic download rate with regards to um, interest. So thank you all. Much appreciated.